Hi, this is Danielle Cursa from The Jealous Curator, and this is episode 226 of Art for Your Ear. Today is a very special day. It's a two for one, everybody, because my intro is just not an intro. My intro is an interview. Dun, dun, dun. And I am talking to my wonderful friend, Alexandra, from Venice, well, via Amsterdam right now. And um, she is the person that is in charge of this whole amazing um, contemporary art course that I come and teach a little part of in Venice every year. So I wanted her to come on and talk about the course a little bit. We're going to talk about Venice a little bit, um, a little 15 minute chat, a couple of top fives of what you need in Venice and top five things to see. Um, and then we will continue on with interview number two with Andy J. Pizza. So Alexandra, welcome to Art for Your Ear. Buongiorno, everyone. It's really <laughs> nice to be here with you. Hi, Danielle. <laughs> Hi. Um, well, here we are. Finally, um, we can travel again. And I am coming your way in August for the yeah. Contemporary Art Course. I cannot wait. It is all I think about. I've been shopping for it. I have lots of very cute light dresses. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> yes. And so... Um, I had quite a few people message me about it and just wanting to know a little bit more. And of course, I always point them to the website, but let's actually just talk about it because that's such an easier way to tell everybody. So tell us a little bit about um, this course and the things that we're going to do and all that stuff. Yeah. Yes, of course. So it is a two-week course from European Cultural Academy, and we are specialized in courses for professional artists, curators, but also for art lovers or people who are interested in art or would like to, you know, know more about the art world and how to succeed in it. We've been running this course for many, many years. It's going to be our fourth edition um, already. And uh, the idea is that it's a lab for creative people. So you come with an idea of a artistic project, or um, maybe you already have an uh, art project that, that you're running and would like to bring to next level. And then for in during the first week, we um, uh, talk to um, uh, curators uh, to uh, artists to understand their creative process and to um, help you strengthen the, the artistic creative concept uh, for your project. Then we uh, discuss uh, logistics, production, um, financial issues, uh, funding, um, and marketing and communication, and um, everything uh, which is uh, just a part of the process. Um, we bring on the experts and uh, have uh, sessions with them, but also one-on-one -on -one, uh, consultations uh, with the participants and with the students. So at the end of the second week, you have a roadmap with a timeline, with the numbers and with steps on how to uh, make your you know, um, uh, dream project come true. And uh, you have the full support from uh, our pool of experts. Um, we um, try to connect you to people in Venice or in Europe if we know that they could uh, help you. Um, and of course, uh, we dedicate uh, a lot of time to 
um, imposter syndrome or uh, to, you know, for sure challenges that uh, all of artists or creative people uh, face. And, uh, but I'm sure that you can uh, tell more about that. <laughs> yeah, that's where I come in. And um, <clears throat> I just wanted to add to what you were saying, because it's so interesting, like when we come in that first week, um, some people really do, like they're very established and they know exactly uh, you know, the project that they're working on and where they're, where their sort of pitfalls are and what they want to fix. And I, there's some people too, that show up that are like, they know they want to take their art practice to the next level or their gallery to the next level. And like, not just show local, they, they want to be in art fairs around the world, but they're in a moment where they almost can't see the forest for the trees. You know, they're in that, like, um, I know I want my creative um, life to be stronger, but I don't know how, Yeah, or I don't even know what that looks like. So I just want people to not feel like, oh, geez, I have to have a project in mind. Like sometimes you get there and you're like, I don't even know. But the two weeks is so transformational is the only word that I can think of. If, if you're open to listening to those experts and listening to the other students, their stories. And um, for me, where uh, um, the huge shift happened for me the first year and the second year and the third mm -hmm. year <laughs> was, was always what the course provides is so much during the day. Like you get to meet so many amazing people who are doing it. Like all of these experts, we go to the Biennale. We, you know, we have a guide that takes us around and explains everything to us, which is like such a VIP treatment. We get to go to other shows and meet with other artists and gallerists. And it's so much interesting information. But for me, my favorite part is the kind of after all of that, when everybody, the students and all of us go for dinner yes. or for a gelato and a coffee and people talk and talk and talk. And you figure out, you sort of digest everything that you saw that day or over those few days. And you sort of start to figure out how you can apply it to your life or what you want. Or if you are feeling like overwhelmed and upset and like, that's how I felt the first year was, yeah overwhelmed by how amazing things were but then it made me realize like okay well if I if I'm so impressed by this grandeur of this art that I'm seeing why can't I push myself to make more grand art you know as opposed to being like well I'm just going to quit that was my old way of being and it's the whole experience that just when you're open to it it just lifts you up it's it's amazing yeah, and I think within the Academy, we really believe that everyone has a right to create art and um, that everyone can find uh, his or hers place in the art world. And it is very important and, and relevant for us. So the group is uh, very often a kind of uh, combination of people. We have marketing managers uh, that we had directors of construction companies who, you know, decided that maybe they want to go into gallery business, but they didn't know uh, wh where to start. We had uh, finance managers who were kind of collecting art and just didn't have creative people around them. So they wanted to spend two weeks in Venice 
talking uh, about art and uh, visiting museums, trying to understand what it's all about. Um, but we also, for example, you know, had artists. Um, I remember that uh, lady and she said, you know, I, I've been doing it for 20 years and I still don't make my living from, uh, from my work. So I really would like to, un to understand how can I earn enough money with it? Because that's what, you know, that, that's what she wants. And she, she, she brought some of her works and it was amazing. And we helped her to come up with a plan. And it could be, you know, turning uh, your art into posters and selling them uh, online. It uh, could be giving lectures and workshops. There are many, many, th you know, ways to to earn money with um, with with uh, with with, uh, uh, with your artwork. So we help them to to, to do that. And I, I the idea. I like the idea of bringing people with different backgrounds and different level of experience together because um, they they can advise or they can um, offer something very different and 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 contribute with their own experience and that's mm -hmm. it's very nice and this is why we also you know try to create uh, some 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 very friendly atmosphere and have social events drinks or dinners together so mm -hmm. can, and movie night uh, and, and yeah. yeah and and talk and enjoy and of course the course is structured in a way that usually in the mornings we would have a a lecture or a Q&A with a curator or Biennale participant or, you know, a cultural manager who've been organizing um, exhibitions in Venice. So you have that, uh, um, that workshop or lecture. And then in the afternoon, we would visit a museum, a Biennale, an exhibition. There are more than 300 exhibitions in Venice uh, this year. Uh, and um, Venice celebrated hundreds, uh, uh, 1,600 years last year, but the celebrations are still <laughs> lasting. I mean, this is Venice, guys. So get ready, get ready. So you have, um, uh, you know, amazing show, shows by uh, Anish Kapoor, Anselm Kiefer, uh, Marlene Dumas, and uh, many, many others. And you know, I'm I'm not talking about the Biennale. <laughs> I'm yeah. talking about other things that are happening in the center of the city. So uh, we we do uh, visit them, and um, so you you get inspired, you understand more about art, you learn more about it, um, and then we have reflection sessions and and discussions because we are very interested of you of what you guys um, have to say. Mm -hmm. I love those those reflection sessions too because like you said about everyone being at different levels and different experiences and um coming from different worlds one of the things I do is like a a resource circle so everyone will go around and talk about what their dream is and they're all completely different and then I ask the group if there's anyone in that group that can help that dream happen and it is crazy there's always somebody in the group who's like, oh, yeah, I know, you know, a gallery and wherever I can make that happen. And so having that group of people with diverse backgrounds is actually so much better than having a group with everybody having the, coming from the same place. Right. So, um, yeah, I mean, I can't talk about it enough. It's just I, I always tell people it was it's been a life changer for me. And, you know, going back again this August, I don't know, like I know it's going to be another 
life changer. I don't know how or why, but like, and that's why I say, you just have to be open to it. You know, you have to just take it all in. And sometimes those life-changing moments don't happen until you get home. You know, you take it, you take those two weeks with you and, and you come home and, you know, maybe the aha moment happens a month later because you're still digesting everything that you experienced and the friendships that come out of it. And anyway, yeah, okay. But we, yeah, but we also, you know, we, we try to to keep it running in a sense that, you know, we usually organize a WhatsApp group for students to communicate yeah. or agree on the drinks and so on. So I have now at least, uh, you know, 10 messages uh, from people that visited uh, us uh, uh, three years ago, four years ago, and I'm coming to Venice. And of course, you know, we always uh, meet for coffee or uh, if there is a preview party, I'm always happy to, to see people. And that's super, super nice. And I see that, you know, uh, more collaborations and projects uh, are happening after yes. uh, left uh, Venice. So that's, that's really, really nice to see. So we're always happy also to introduce you to uh, alumni or people who, who've done the course previously. Yeah, that's um, it's like yeah. an amazing artsy summer camp. And you yeah. come away and like all these campers are now your friends it's, forever. It, 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 it's basically a summer camp, camp for adults yeah. with art and gelato and Aperol and Prosecco in Venice. <laughs> now that's, that's my kind of summer camp. <laughs> um, okay, so I wanted to ask you, I want to do a quick, quick top five and then um, we'll give everyone the information for how to sign up. And um, I, I want you to talk a little bit about accommodations and things like that. Um, and I will put all of this on my website. There'll be links and information so people can, or if they're not, if you don't have a pen right now, you guys, that's okay. Everything will be on my site. Um, okay. So I want you to tell me, I've got my list too. Yeah. Okay. So you spend most of your summers in Venice these days. You live yeah. in Amsterdam, but you spend a ton of time. So do you have like a top five must see slash do in Venice while you're there? Yeah, that's a tough one because it's, uh, Venice is quite intense, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, it's rather difficult to, to choose, but, you know, I would um, I would definitely start with a visit to Peggy uh, Guggenheim Museum. because That's, that's on my list. Yep, ah! that's on my list too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so that's that, that's definitely worth a visit. And we do that uh, actually with, uh, with the course. But do you um, know what I do now every year when I come? Yeah. Before, before, like I, I usually arrive on the Sunday, the course starts on the Monday. So on the Sunday I get settled, put on a very light dress. Cause in August it's hot. And I walk to Peggy's and I go and I sit on her terrace on the grand canal. And I pretend that I am her. And I just sit there for like an hour and do nothing. I don't even walk through the house and look at the art. I just sit on the terrace and pretend I live in Venice. That's, that's really nice. And I have some, some news because we, we were able to build very good relationship with the museum. So now we actually organize uh, the tours to Peggy um, outside the work hours. So our group is alone uh, at the museum. So we're going early in the morning before museum is open to public because we think it's really gives that feeling that, you know, Peggy Guggenheim Museum was her house yeah uh, where she she lived and where you know she um she she received the artist and had uh, this uh, lavish uh, venetian uh, theatrical parties so we would be you know when we're in august we would be alone uh, oh uh, that's so nice museum to enjoy uh, the art and atmosphere there 
Then the second would be, um, it's kind of a mix, but I would say, uh, you know, eat gelato at uh, Nico's, which is the best uh, gelato place. That I, That is on my list too. Is that the one that's sort of under the, like behind Rialto Bridge? No, that's another one. There's a new one. Yes, yes. We have a new gem with even better gelato. Oh my word. Um, um, then I would uh, go to Lido, to the beach. Lido is an island just 20 minutes away by Vaporetto, so a water bus uh, from San Marco Square. Uh, this is where the Venice Film Festival takes uh, place, and you can enjoy amazing sandy beach uh, there. So when it's warm in the city, it offers a very good, refreshing <laughs> <laughs> experience, and it's very nice. Uh, and then um, it might sound touristy, but having a Bellini or Aperol Spritz in a cafe, in a bar with a view to Grand Canal, that's, yeah. that's worth it yes. um, uh, uh, for sure. And definitely eat uh, some seafood at uh, Trattoria or Osteria in, in Venice um, because, you know, it's a, it, it's a water city. So the yeah. fish, um, the, uh, the, the seafood, shrimps, mussels, they all are very fresh and delicious. Mm-hmm. Oh, my gosh. Well, that's almost all of mine, too. I, the other one I had was I was like, I know Alexandra's going to say Lido. So I'm going to say Murano mm-hmm. to go and see the glass. Um, and it's just such a beautiful little island. Again, you just take the Vaporetto there. And uh, we went one time and had a tour of the uh, one of the glass studios there and then had gelato and espresso. And, oh, I should note, everyone, do not order a latte or a cappuccino <laughs> after noon. Yes, that's my very that's first fun. day on my very first year. I was out with Alexandra for lunch and I don't know, I'm from North America. So I ordered a latte, I think it was 2 PM and the waiter was horrified. And in Italian, he said to Alexandra, he told her I was a barbarian. Yes, because a latte in Italian, it means milk. So I understood that uh, you were ordering a coffee with milk yes. so when I asked him he refused to bring in I said well you know I have a very important guest so please do that and he was like but we're not barbarians How can I do that? and I said please do that in the end he did it huh? he brought it to it and then I never ordered one again I, I switched to macchiatos for the afternoon because I do need a little bit of cream I need a yeah. little bit of milk in there but I didn't want to be kicked out of Venice so I quickly switched my order hilarious um okay so I put Murano I have gelato I've got Peggy's tears so two other things I put boat ride yes you and we always do that at the end of the course we get this beautiful ride around Venice in the the fancy um um boats that you the water taxis that you see all the celebrities at the film festival riding around in I believe George and Amal were in one after their wedding Anyway, so we could do that. And seeing Venice from that perspective, after you've been wandering around in the streets the whole two weeks, it's just so amazing. And then the other thing I have is, well, you had a Aperol Spritz by the Grand Canal. Mine is go by yourself with a sketchbook or a notebook that you guys give us and 
draw or write or whatever with a coffee or gelato or uh, cannoli and, and just write and write and draw and draw and just be an artist in Venice. It's a surreal experience and I do it every time because it just feels so good. One time I actually painted with espresso. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, I used it. Yeah, it was amazing because it's such strong coffee. And at the at the end of the coffee, there's always like so much at the bottom of the cup. And I just had brought um, I had a few paintbrushes in my purse and a few scraps of watercolor paper, and I pulled them out and just did some little paintings with espresso. So it's just so, so magical. Yeah, and you know, I also think that people come to Venice for for inspiration to to have time for themselves and it's you can get lost in the city and a good thing about Venice that it's an island so the worst thing that could happen to you is that you end up on the waterfront with a beautiful lagoon view you you know so it's uh, it's not that big so you can walk around in one hour you are you know would be a, you would walk from one uh, uh, end of the city to another so you know allowing yourself some time to do that 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 we also dedicate you know some time uh, of the course to that to, to mm. for reflection and just to to soak in um, yeah this, this architecture history for sure yeah for mm-hmm. sure um, that leads me to my well we'll do this really quick it's so hard to talk about Venice quickly um, so top five things people should bring with them yes so um, top five things I would say um, good walking uh, shoes. Yes. Or if you forget them, you can buy uh, Frulane, which is a velvet uh, Venetian slippers, which are very <laughs> comfortable uh, uh, for, for walking. So good walking shoes, that's what you need, or Frulane, a sketchbook, yes. uh, definitely for sure. And you also get an extra from us, from European Cultural Academy. Kirky mm-hmm. uh, sunglasses inspired by Peggy Guggenheim. Uh, Google her people if um, and you will see that she had a collection of uh, state of art uh, sunglasses, a fan because it uh, it's it is uh, warm um, and uh, humid. So this was my my top list. Yeah, and you can always buy a fan there too because they have them everywhere in all those little stands. Yeah, um, so that was the same as mine. Comfortable walking shoes, but I also did slash stylish. You can't be in Venice without, they have to be comfortable, but stylish, or the Italians will kick you out. Um, A few art supplies. I always have a few things in my purse where I can uh, whip out a paintbrush and do something. I had sunglasses as well. Um, And one thing that I always do, um, well, and very light clothing, because you're going to think, oh, this this is fine. It's not. Really light, breezy clothing, because you're going to need that. this is what I always do. Mm-hmm. I always treat myself to one thing every year. So I decide on an amount like 50 euros or hundred euros or whatever it is to get myself something or to have an experience with that money. So one year I bought um, pigment from the pigment store, the paint oh, pigment yeah. store. Oh, 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 that's like a candy land for artists. I bought a bunch of pigment, uh, an apron and some really beautiful brushes from there one year. The next year I went to... Um, a perfume, a perfumery that has been there since I think it was like 1785 or something. And I bought myself a bottle of rose perfume. And then last year I went to Lido 
Um, and for 90 euros, <laughs> got a little day pass at the Excelsior Hotel to sit by their pool. And I just sat by their pool and floated around and looked at the ocean. That was the best 90 euros I've ever spent. And so I don't, I've got my 100 euros for this year. I don't know what I'm going to spend it on. I wait till I'm there to decide. Um, so giving yourself a little treat while you're there never hurts either. Yes, definitely. You, you don't see it, guys, but I'm nodding. I'm nodding like yeah. all, the things, all the right things that Daniel did. This is, uh, yeah, that's, that's, that's really good for yeah. Um, Okay. And so can you tell everybody how they can sign up, where to sign up? And again, I'll put all of the links in my, uh, in my post. Yeah, so, you know, to, to sign up, it's very easy. So the course is uh, from 8th of August to uh, August 19. Um, so for two weeks, you go to europeanculturalacademy.com website. You find a uh, contemporary art uh, course. We have a course page with all the information and uh, FAQ session and contact details. If you have uh, more questions, we are, you know, happy to, uh, to answer. And then you uh, click the registration button and leave. Uh, your name email um, and register that's it nice and um the one thing I want to say about that is uh, I had somebody message me and she said I I really want to do it but I feel like I'm not high level enough so and I wrote her back and said what do you mean what do you mean I didn't understand. She's like, well, you know, like high level enough of an artist. And I said, oh, Pasha, that's that th- th- that's not it. You got it. Whatever level you are, feel like you can come. You can be part of this group. Um, so, OK, so and I actually have a direct link to the contemporary art page in my Instagram feed. It's in my link tree. Um, and people always want to know about accommodation. So can you kind of give an insight into accommodation in Venice? Yes. Yeah. So the um, the we do recommend to stay in the center uh, of Venice because the academy is on Grand Canal in Canareggio uh, district. Uh, there are a lot of hotels or bed and breakfast um, around in Venice, uh, quite easy to book. But what we also do, we have uh, apartments uh, with uh, rooms and uh, private rooms and private bathrooms that we offer to the students. So if you are you know, interested in, 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 in such accommodation, please uh, write to our program manager, uh, Julia Conte, uh, Julia at europeanculturalacademy.com, but her uh, contacts are also on the course page and she will send you the links and the photos uh, with accommodation. And we also have uh, special deals with uh, hotels um, in Venice. Uh, so uh, you can also ask Julia to send you that accommodation brochure with the promo codes that we offer for for the participants of the course that's amazing that's amazing yeah you have any trouble with accommodation uh let us know uh you know we can help you with that that's great um this was so awesome because it's so hard to really explain I mean, you you can't know until you're there, but this was so nice um, to be able to have this chat with you and to hopefully, you know, if there's people that are thinking about coming, hopefully that we answered their questions. And if not, they can always reach out to you guys to, or to me, I'm happy to answer questions um, because I love it. And now, I mean, I'd never been to Venice before that first year that I went in 2017, I think was my first year. And now, I mean, you and I have talked about this so many times, like Venice is now just has a piece of my heart, you know, it's just, well, it's just such a special place and I will always feel like that. So. 
Yeah, I'm really looking forward to, to seeing you in Venice. And actually, you know, the first day of the course is my favorite moment of the course when I see all those people coming in. First of all, because they're coming to Palace and they own Grand Canal. So it's uh, you you become immediately excited because you we are in a Rococo room uh, with Italian coffee and you see the boat and it's, it, it's really very beautiful. But People are a little bit nervous because you, you know, it's the first time you're gonna meet, uh, um, uh, you're gonna meet the, uh, the the group participants and the team, and then we do the introduction, and you see that we all have the same challenges and the same issues, and uh, you know, it's 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 really cool to see that at the end, <laughs> you know, we we are struggling with the same things and actually with as academy we can help yeah. to, to deal with that and mm -hmm. uh, this is really really nice it's so. very special yeah I have a couple of good friends now that I met there my very first year and we've you know we're they're a couple of my closest friends in the world now which is amazing anyway well thank you so much for it's early morning for me and dinner time for you so thank you for taking the time to do this and I will see you in August yes and you take me to this new gelato place that I don't know about. Yes, for sure. Best pistacchio, uh, pistacchio uh, gelato <laughs> that you have ever tried. Perfect. I am in. Right. <laughs> okay. Right. Thanks, Alexandra. I'll talk to you bye soon. Bye. 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 Okay. Now, look, these are my notes for today. Nice. That looks Talk good. to Andy about dreams, ladders, and sweatpants. I don't know. I have a guess of the dreams and the sweatpants, but I don't know what the ladder says. So, we'll... oh, okay, we'll get to it. Well, Andy. Yes, Danielle. You know, I always love talking to you. I love talking to you. You're one of the most down to earth people in the art world. And that coming from the Midwest, that means a lot to me. <laughs> it's my Canadian is ism. Mm -hmm. um, okay, so. Usually you and I have a bit of a plan. We're like, oh, we'll do myths. We'll bust myths or like, you know, stuff like that. Um, is that me? I think so. I don't think I don't think I. Oh, it uh, is. Yeah, I don't. I'm good. Weird. Okay, I'll turn that off. I'm very popular. It was my vet because our little Agnes has a, her first appointment tomorrow. Anyway, what, what kind of dog is it? She's a miniature wiener dog. Nice. She kind of looks like Princess Diana. That's that's great. I've become, <laughs> I weirdly became like a crazy dog person over the past like four or five years. I always liked dogs. I always liked them a lot. Yeah. But then my, you know, uh, I don't know, just the two dogs. Do you guys have one? Yeah, we have two dogs. Um, okay. And I just, uh, just, I'm the person, I just this couple of weeks ago, was going on an errand and took my dog with me just because I wanted to. I've never been like that, but that's, that's who I am now. I love it. That's yep. yeah. We're trying to be like more like that with her because the wiener dogs are crazy and they I, bark at everybody. And so we kept the other, we kept them kind of tucked away, yeah. but then they just become crazier. Yeah. So little Agnes goes everywhere we go so that we can break her. Socializer. Yeah. 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 Anywho, okay, so as I was saying, we usually have a plan. Today, there's no plan. I'm good with that. I'm okay. fine. Um, there's a couple things, um, because you're so smart, 
And like, we usually like talk smartly together. And I was like, oh, instead today, what I'm going to do is um, instead of talking smartly, I'm just going to ask Andy for advice. So this is going to be like, it's more like an advice call-in show. And I have called you. I've called Dr. Pizza Therapy. Fun. Okay. Um, Hi, um, Dr. Pizza. This is Danielle, um, longtime listener, first time caller. Is this actually happening? Is this the real thing now? This is all happening. (laughs) All right. Hello, Danielle. (laughs) The problem. I'm I'm right into character. (laughs) Um, So there's two things that I'd like to discuss with you today. First of all, this is where the ladders come in. This is the ladders on my list Hmm. is... um, I want to talk about the rungs on the old success ladder. Mm. And uh, because I've talked about this before, but I'm having a hard time figuring out, you know, when it's your own problem, like you can't see the forest for the trees, but if it's someone else's problem, you're like, here's what to do. 100%. And I finally, I'm glad you said that because I was going to start with this whole thing about like, you know, I got all kinds of problems (laughs) that I'm trying (laughs) to figure out. I don't have all the answers. (laughs) But I do have a lot of ideas. That's the thing. I have a lot of ideas. It might not be answers. Um, but yeah, I have the same thing where like, you know, I'm currently just wrestling with a bunch of stuff like any creator probably is. So yeah, I know exactly what you're saying. Okay, good. And I figured you would. Um, so my problem is that with my artwork, which has been on the back burner for a long time, right? Like I've really put Dell's curator first and and books first and all that stuff, which I'm very proud of, and I consider that part of my creative life too. Um, But I also think sometimes I use it as a really good way of getting out of pushing my art further. It's like almost like a little perfect excuse, right? And so working with Peter Coyne in the last year and really pushing my art and having a big show and it's very exciting. And I'm finally making art that I'm really proud of. And I've got lots of ideas. That's not the problem. I think the problem, my problem is I feel like I am. I've moved up my success ladder. I'm, I'm on the next rung yeah. and there's more things I want. Like the ladder's not done and I can't figure out how to get to the next rung. And it's um, driving me a tiny bit crazy. And again, I feel like I'm in a fog. Like I feel like if someone came to me and asked me for this advice, I'd be like, here's a list of exactly what to do. But because it's me, I'm like, I don't know. I I can't, like, there's so much fog. I can't even see the next rung. Um, So I think, and we were messaging about this a little bit. I guess we did have a kind of a plan. And I said, you said, well, what do you mean you want more? Like, what do you, what do you mean? And I I think what it is, is that like, I've got grand plans of like, I want to show in New York and I want to show in LA and I want to be able to put a crazy price on my art and have people pay that without even, you know, you hear about these artists who are like, can't keep up with the demand and they're, they're, you know, they've got these waiting lists. And it's like, that sounds nice. Um, I'd like that. (laughs) And I feel like I'm at this moment where I'm very happy with the art, which is great. But now I've got these goals that I'm not sure how to go after. And you're very good about like journeys and plans. So I just wanted to ask you what you thought. Well, yeah, I mean, this definitely is kind of the space in which I spend a lot of time and energy. And uh, I think it's a really good question. I have a few follow-up questions first. Okay. Just I'm kind of thinking through it. I was thinking about, um, first, I just want to uh, validate and kind of affirm that feeling. I think that 
for me personally, and it seems like a lot of creators have this, I think that there's a, I think there's like a psychological need that humans have to provide value to the community that they care about. I think, I think that a lot of artists um, resist that to a degree. And I, and I think there's good reasons why you need to be careful with that, you know, urge to, you know, connect with people or find that demand. Like sometimes Mm. that can be distracting, but I think ultimately underneath it is a very human impulse. That is why we make stuff. And in the same way, I remember there was a time where I had that same feeling of, I just want to know, I want to, I want to figure out how do I get to that place where what I have, what flows through me creatively finds the place where people are like, I can't get enough of that. Like, Mm -hmm. and it doesn't have to be a huge group of people. It doesn't have, it just has to be passionate, enthusiastic, and just, you know, on both sides, like reciprocating this kind of energy. So anyway, I just highlight that, that I think that is ultimately a really good urge that is like a great fuel for creativity. Mm -hmm. Um, And I just think I was just highlighting it because I'm sure there are people listening that have a similar urge and have maybe been told to quiet that down. And I'm just, I think it's a mm, good thing. I see. Um, yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, but yeah, well, uh, the question that I had was, um, so you, you mentioned uh, when we talked before that idea of wanting to show in the, you know, in the big cities and do the big price point, it sounds like there's kind of two directions that I would go with this. And I feel like there's, uh, they're not rivaling each other. They're not, and it's not like you have to pick one or the other, but there's kind of two ways that I would think about that. But the first thing was a question of what do you think is in the way of you doing that? Like just what, why aren't you, is it a, is it a matter of just connections? Is it a matter of like that request hasn't come through or like what? I, yeah, I think that's, that's what I've been thinking about a lot lately is like, which will lead to the next thing on my list. Um, but uh, I tend to be, and I always joke um, that, you know, being Canadian and a woman that I'm just so uber polite that I would never dare to ask for what I want. Right. right. And I, I mean, I'm, I am joking cause I do ask for what I want and I go after things and stuff, but am I fully joking? Because I think that's maybe what's stopping me is that um like my friend Ashley Longshore, she doesn't ask. Do you know what I mean? She just goes after the things she wants. Um, and I do to a certain extent, but that's not my personality uh, to be, to just really, I think what I'm doing is being very Canadian and sitting back and waiting to be invited to these things, as opposed to putting myself in a situation where I'm submitting to things, or, I mean, I do have a bazillion contacts as the jealous curator. But I think what I'm scared of is that they'll be like, oh, sure, you can curate a show, but ooh, no, we don't really want to show your work. <laughs> you know, so I think I'm scared to get that answer. So I don't even put out the question. Yeah. So I'm kind of stopping myself, which I, I know. Right. Yeah. I, yeah, I get that. So, um, okay. So there's kind of two ways that I've been thinking about this for my own uh, practice recently. Um, I just did, I don't know if this is what you are going to get at with, uh, you had a note about dreams. So I don't know if yeah, no, that I'm, that's referring to your, one of your latest Instagram posts, because it was that's, so interesting. And I wanted to ask you about it. 
Well, that's what I was going to bring up. I oh, was okay, perfect. That idea because there's kind of two ways to think about those dreams: the next rung on the ladder, or, you know, the next ten rungs on the ladder. And I think um, they're not mutually exclusive. They work hand in hand, and I and I think they can. You can do both at the same time. But um, essentially, the Instagram post that you're referring to. It is an idea that came to me from like listening to uh, Jungian Carl Jung podcast, which, you know, I feel like people are either crazy about Jung, don't know who he is or hate him. So there's <laughs> stuff in between. And uh, and so this is a dream analysis podcast called This Jungian Life. And they were talking about vocation, um, the call to uh, your purpose in life, that kind of thing. And uh, they were wrestling with it and they were kind of talking about like, should you follow that psychological impulse that comes from deep within you or should you not? And they're going through like case by case examples of either clients they had or friends and, you know, people that followed the metaphorical call and it worked out super well. And then people that followed the call and it just ended in a disaster. And like, they're trying to figure out like what, how should you deal with that? And at some point he, uh, one of the hosts is like, you know, I think, the call to adventure is a, um, or that calling or the vocation, that dream that you have, that is a impulse from the deep self, they would say the psyche. And it's really the job of the ego, which is just kind of who you think you are. Um, like the person within yourself that you identify doing, I'm doing a podcast right now. That's the ego. Um, it's the ego's job to interpret that calling. So mm -hmm. like, it's the, it, and now he didn't, they left it there, but in the, I'm not going to take a ton of credit for this because in the context of this podcast, it's a dream analysis podcast and they're using all the language. I just took it a little bit further because it hit me like a ton of bricks because I realized that that calling impulse from the deep self to the ego uh, and interpreting it is exactly the same language they would use to talk about analyzing dreams. And so they would say, if you had a dream at nighttime and it was a dream about uh, fishing, you don't think maybe I should go fishing today. Like that's mm. not, we don't think of dreams like that. We interpret them. We're like, oh, the deep self or the subconscious is telling me something. And if I want to find out what it is, I'm not going to take it literally. Right. And so what hit me so hard is maybe that, uh, we need to interpret our daydreams in the same way that we interpret our night dreams and understand that the, the, the deep self might be saying something like when I was a kid, uh, I really wanted to be a comedian. And, you know, I, and I, that was kind of my dream. I wanted to be on Saturday Night Live or be a stand up or something like that. And the truth is that um, about five or six years ago, I started, uh, you know, listening to podcasts and noticing people like Kristen Wiig and Fred Armisen, people that have been on Saturday Night Live, didn't do so until they were like in their mid thirties. Mm. And I thought, huh, should I like revisit this dream? Like I've done a bunch of stuff I wanted to do. And I feel like I'm able to go out there and do things. Um, and this might be completely crazy, but should I revisit that? And I kind of wrestled with it for a little while. And then I realized that the interpretation of that dream was a lot more uh, attractive to me than the actual dream because I realized I don't actually care that much about being funny. Like I, mm. if I'm on stage or something, I like to be silly 
because I think it makes it less boring and more <laughs> enjoyable for people, but it's not what I care about. And I realized that as a kid watching these comedians, that was the only context I had for somebody who was, uh, you know, a, an in introverted kind of solitary point of view who had a cyclical process of either every week on Saturday Night Live or every, you know, every, every couple times a week at the comedy club where they get up and they share their perspective and it's heard and received by people who want to listen to it. Mm -hmm. And eventually I realized like, I do that every single week on my podcast. Like I'm already living that dream exactly how I want to be in that. What well, that's the part of the, that's what attracted me to the symbol of being mm -hmm. a stand-up comedian, right? Um, now, the only thing I want to add to that, because I think that, you know, it might still be a literal dream, but what that interpretation does for me also is it takes it out of the far off future and the hypothetical, and it brings it to where I'm standing right now of how can I live that dream right now? Because if, if underneath that dream is some kind of pure impulse that I'm just obsessed with, I will take any, any version of it that I can get as soon as possible. Right. Whereas some people, you know, if they dream about um, being a rock star or, or showing in New York, they, and I know this isn't true for you because I know you do other shows, they're not interested in doing a show around the corner. Mm. It's like, okay, so what, what is actually below that? Like, you know, the, the essence of doing the work isn't the dream. So it's something else that is, you know, maybe a distraction. So anyway, mm -hmm. two pieces are, you can either interpret that dream. Uh, and, and, and one of the reasons, the other reason I wanted to interpret the comedy dream was because I realized I was less concerned about comedy and more concerned about just speaking my heart, storytelling, just saying my perspective. Uh, and, um, and the other reason was it's that mixed with the cost. So I also realized like in 2019, before the pandemic, I went to, I had like six trips to LA and I was doing a bunch of stuff there. And every time I went, I would go, uh, go to the comedy clubs as many times as I could. And I was really enjoying it, especially seeing like young comics that I'd never heard of. And I think I thought, you know, I don't think, oh, I definitely could do that. I don't know. I would not say that, but I would say, I thought if I wanted to, this is what it would cost. Being here, starting at the bottom, putting in my time, putting in my reps. And what would that cost me? What would that cost my kids? What would that cost? All these other things, because I think instead of looking at the exception of like, oh, but yeah, that YouTuber comedian did it without moving to LA. Well, that was one out of a hundred <laughs> yeah. you know I mean? or, or even worse. Yeah. So in terms of what it actually costs, I just realized like, I just don't, I don't, not only do I want, want to pay the cost in terms of my family and my own, you know, where I live and all that. I also love all the stuff I do now. Like I, I don't want to, in order to really go on that journey, it, I would have to sacrifice a bunch of other things too, like kids books and yeah. All the other things that I love. Um, anyway, I've said a I've said way more than I wanted to, but there's um, I'll say one last thing, which is uh, <laughs> which is uh, that the other. I hope you're not billing me by the minute, <laughs> Doctor Pizza. <laughs> <laughs> cut, cut half of this out. <laughs> no, no. 
but uh, I, you know, um, it's just a, you know, it's the topic that I've been thinking. So no, no, I want you to keep going. I'm joking. I'm joking. Uh, I'm sorry. Um, but um, I also think that it also has this notion of when you interpret it to what, where you are today, it also puts you on that journey regardless, because um, my favorite example of this is when Chris Martin from Coldplay was on Pete Holmes podcast, he was saying that they were like, uh, Pete was like, do you ever, did you dream you and your guitarist who started the band in high school? Did you dream of doing stadiums back then? And he was like, yeah, we did. We, we actually did, but we did for just a second. And then we dreamt of filling the school assembly. Like, mm-hmm. And, it, and I think that interpreting it, if you start doing whatever the energy is now of that, you know, the comedy thing or that the essence of that, or the essence of the show, you're, you're making your way towards that as well. Um, yeah, I know you've done a ton of that, but those are my, those I know. Are and I, I think I actually what I, what I can't stop thinking of while you're chatting is getting a notebook and actually figuring out like it, reinterpreting it. Like, why do I want that? What is it about that, that I think I want? And maybe I don't actually want that. Yeah, exactly. And that, I, I was hoping that you're going to say that when you said got a notebook, I was hoping you're going to say, get to the bottom of why you want that. Yeah, because maybe that's not even the thing. Maybe I just, maybe that's a society thing. You know, I see other people doing it. So I'm like, oh, I want that thing. But it's like, but do I, you know? And, and I like the idea of the cost too, because there's no way, like, I, I will never stop doing the jealous curator stuff, like in whatever form that takes, like, I just can't stop. Like, it's like an obsession. Right. So I don't want to give that up. I love writing books. I don't want to give that. Oh, so, okay. So what is it that I what am I talking about? Which is, I think, a good way to help find yourself way out of that fog, right? Yeah. And like think, having COVID for three weeks hasn't helped with the fog. And, and, and I've been so not productive, which drives me bonkers. Yeah. So it's like a perfect storm right now. I totally um, I was going to add, oh, so to add to this, which is the next thing on my little list, is sweatpants. Hmm. So the reason for this is, like, I also wonder... If part of the inaction that I've been taking for these supposed dreams is that in two and a half years, I've gotten really good at not leaving my house. Mm-hmm. Um, As most of us have the good ones. <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm, just, I'm not judging you. You know who you are. Um, and before all of this, I traveled so much, right? And I love going places. I love doing all the things that I do. But um, I don't know if I've talked about this on the podcast. I have major anxiety and the bulk of it is around travel. I don't like being away from my son. I tend to, while sitting in an airport waiting to board a plane, um, I'm very creative, Andy. So I come up with all sorts of stories about how I'm going to die. He's going to die. You know, fun stuff like that. As I'm on my way to somewhere amazing. And as soon as I get to wherever I'm going, I'm completely fine. You know, and we've got FaceTime and whatever. And Charlie's almost 16. He could care less where I am. You know, it's all good. But the last time I did all that was two and a half years ago. And I feel really scared 
you know, like I'm going to be gone most of August between I'm going to Venice um, for my usual that course that I teach, which is so exciting. And I'm, you know, pumped about going and then I'm doing um, a TEDx talk in Nashville right after that. So like I'm home for four days and then I leave again and I'm it's only June and I'm starting to panic about all of that. Right. So if I'm having shows in New York and L.A. and Paris and London, does that mean I need to like get on a plane and go to those places? And really, honestly, also nothing fits now except my sweatpants. And do I really want to wear anything else? And so I think there's all this anxiety of, okay, wait a minute, the world is opening up and it's time to go back to what I was doing before. Do I want to go back to what I was doing before? Was that too much? Like maybe, so I'm kind of thinking about that too. And I, I kind of feel like, I wonder how many people listening feel like that too, you know? I mean, I'm, I'm sure I don't, probably you're the only one that's going to Venice, but <laughs> I'm very jealous of that. But, um, but I think everybody is probably feeling that way. I, I know I have felt that way. The only, and I don't think, um, I can definitely just validate and affirm that feeling because I've had the same thing. And I know musicians that feel the same way. Like, I don't, they don't know if they ever want to tour again. Like they just don't know. And I, and I don't have any like answer about that other than I feel like it's, there's a lot of things whenever, whatever the, uh, whenever I have a really intensely positive feeling from something, I try really, really hard to take note of it mm-hmm. because the best kind it's, I don't even know if this is an analogy or just the same thing on a different scale, but uh, the best example of what I'm going to say is, have you ever had, you ever have like a restaurant that's especially incredible? Like it, you're just like, I don't even know what they're doing here. I don't know how they're <laughs> doing it. Like, what is the, what is this that I'm eating? And you go eat it and you're like, I couldn't keep how good this is in my brain because you can't except for when you're tasting it, then you're like, oh man, it's even better than I could remember because I couldn't keep it in there. And I feel like a lot of the good feelings that we have, we don't think, or the good experiences or when we feel in the right place at the right time, or we, you know, all that kind of stuff. I think they're so good. It's like when you get an amazing idea and you're like, I don't need to write that down. It's, it'll be, you know, it'll, you know, it'll, it'll stick with me. And then it's gone. Like those incredible experiences, I feel like um, they are very, very, very easy to forget the further away they are. Mm-hmm, and I think true. I hadn't been doing talks, which is my favorite creative endeavor, um, in-person talks. The first one I did was in Atlanta, uh, like a month and a half ago. And until I'd done that talk, I just had to tell myself, like, you love doing this. Like, mm. I know you don't want to go to the airport. You don't want to do, like, I know you don't want to do any of those things. They're all annoying. You don't want to practice the talk, all that kind of stuff. But just try to remember, this is one of your favorite things. And you don't even remember how it feels. And so I feel mm-hmm. like a lot of um, things as we get back to stuff, like we just have to hold on to those things. And if those aren't true, and you know, there's a lot of others, there's a whole list of other things that um, I think we've all gone through like crossing things out of our routine that we're never returning to because we just filled them up because it was the thing to do. Like, and it just like snowballed culturally. Um, And so- And you you never stopped to question it because you just did it. Yeah. Yeah. So I think, I think, yeah, you know, you would have to like uh, figure out which of those that you'd, 
it falls into that kind of trap. Yeah. Well, and I have like, um, there's lots of things now since COVID that now that things are starting again, I've said no to, I didn't have a balance before. I just said yes to everything. And like, just tried to like sweat my way through it. And it's like, you don't want to do that. Like these are really exciting, amazing things. It's like, I'm going to bear down and get through two weeks of Venice. What? Exactly. that, That makes no sense. So I know that and exactly what you're saying is right. And I'm sure I will be sitting at a cafe at some point going, that Andy J is so right. I am thoroughly enjoying this moment more than I can possibly explain. Um, it's just getting going again, I think, is is the trouble I'm having. And it's, I, I don't know, I'm like my own worst enemy right now. I Yeah, I totally, I very much relate to that. I also, just the starting of anything is hard. And I also think... Uh, I think it's good to remember that everybody to a degree feels like you do like ever. And when you go out there, I feel like the audiences are more um, receptive than, than they were because everybody's being forgiving and excited and they, everybody just wants to experience that. And it's not that that's the answer. That's just because it doesn't have to be the answer. You don't have to, that might not be the thing that you want to, that might not be a cost that you're willing to pay. But right. I did, that, that was a, a piece when you were talking about showing in New York and LA and all these different places. I thought, I think that there's, I feel completely neutral about it. It has everything to do with why you want to do it. But ultimately, do you want to go be a part of that scene? Do you want to go physically be there, make the connections, do, you know, stay you know, spend a lot of time away from home doing those things. And if you don't, then I would try to get down to what it, and the same goes for the talks. That's why I brought it up. Like, why do it? Like, wh- why would you say yes? Um, right. And I think, I think that if you get to the bottom of that, that will be your answer. And you can, I th- there's a good quote. Um, I think it's a, I'm going to butcher it, but I think it's a Nietzsche quote. That's like, um, about how like a person with a why can bear any how. So it's like Mm. when you know why you're doing it, if you knew why you were going to do all those traveling engagements and it really, really mattered to you, you would, it wouldn't matter how it happened. Right. And so I think it's getting to that core. And I think, you know, when I'm really out of, uh, there's kind of two ways that I get into that place that I feel like you seem like you're in where it's like, unmotivated, unsure, fog, like lack of clarity. I think the two reasons I get there are one, I can't remember why I'm doing this. Like at some point, uh, it's kind of similar. I think I said at the top of the show, like I realize, like, I don't want to be, I don't want to be a comedian because I don't care about people thinking I'm funny. Like that, I don't get anything from that. And that why does not motivate me. And when I go out on stage and I, in my why I've like slipped into some ego state where my why is, I want them to think I'm awesome. If I get into that zone, uh, I don't want, I can't bear anyhow. There's no how I don't, doesn't matter how it, how it's going to happen because I know my deeper self knows that it's not worth it. It's not mm-hmm. worth a random group of strangers thinking I'm awesome. And by the way, if I go into there with that energy, they're not going to think that anyway. They're going to think <laughs> idiot. Um, you know what I mean? Um, and so the two places that I feel like when I get in that zone of 
unmotivated. Uh, it's either because I forgot why I do this. Why do I make art? Why do I care? Why have I hustled for a long time to do this thing? Or it's just that I don't have my, I don't have any clarity of where I want to go. And, and, or if I know where I want to go, I don't believe that I can get there. So I'm not, I, because I haven't been able to make progress towards it. So it's one in that zone is usually where I start getting apathetic and yeah. motivated. Yeah. Well, I'm going to have to buy a new notebook after this, clearly, because there's some writing to be done to figure this out, which is kind of fun. I kind of like that, like excavation of, but I needed somebody to, I needed a doctor to tell me what to do because. Not a real doctor. No, only, that, pizza. only Just- in pizza. Right. <laughs> Let's be clear. Um, okay. So the last thing I want to ask you about. The very most recent Instagram post um, was your last episode. And um, the woman, there was a quote that said, the pain that you can't get rid of, make that your creative offering. Oh my gosh, I really, really want to talk about that because I've been talking a lot about that. And that's what my whole art show was about that I just did was about the sadness and depression I had after having multiple surgeries followed up by a full hysterectomy and just feeling like really like a huge sense of loss and sadness. And I wallowed in it for a bit and then thought, well, no, I'm an artist and I'll use this as fuel to create something beautiful. Like I'll turn the sadness into something beautiful and it worked. And so I've been preaching that a lot. And so I saw that and I was like, is that what she meant? Is that what you guys were talking about? Yeah. Uh, if people that aren't familiar, um, Susan Kane, uh, you might be like one of the I don't know, 40 million people that have seen her do a TED talk. She did a TED talk. Um, Her first one was on introverts and it's like the famous introvert one. Um, And then she did another talk that's correlates with her new book, which is called bittersweet. And it's all about melancholy. It's really um, it's, she just always likes sad songs, Leonard Cohen, all that kind of stuff. And she, she just got obsessed with that feeling and then went on this huge deep dive into research of like, what is that feeling? And found all this super interesting stuff, um, ended up becoming just this incredible journey. Um, and, uh, you know, like for instance, one of the reasons she wanted to look into it was because like in psychology, they don't even really have a category for melancholy. Um, you know, they have depression, sadness, happiness and all that, you know, that these sides of the spectrum Um, and melancholy is such a huge topic for me. Uh, I have this character on my arm right here. It's Mm -hmm. a melancholy thing, Uh. melancholy personified um, because it's such a huge deal to me. And my little niece once asked me like, what is that? And I said, oh, it's melancholy. And she didn't know what it was because she's little. And, um, and I was trying to figure out how to explain it. And I was like, oh, have you ever listened? I knew she liked Taylor Swift. So I was like, <laughs> you ever listened to sad song, but it made you happy. And she's like, yeah. I was like, that's what melancholy is. It's this weird, like sad for fun, like enjoying the longing somehow. Um, anyway, she had a book about that, that came out recently. That book, um, was like a spiritual encounter for me. Uh, I, it hit me harder than I can remember any book hitting me. Um, and that's, that's bittersweet. Bittersweet. Yeah. yeah. She was on my show and we had a great chat, but a big section of the book is about creativity. And she goes mm-hmm. into how 
the correlation between melancholy and um, and creativity and the creative disposition. And she goes through, I mean, she has all these interesting studies about how many, the percentage of creatives that are orphaned um, and all these kinds of things. And um, one of the studies that she mentioned that's kind of gets at this a little bit is they did this study where they had this group of people go give a talk to a class individually, uh, but the class were actors. Now, half of the time they were acted really engaged and interested in the people that were talking. The other half, they acted really bored and uninterested and, you know, like the person really sucked. And so then after they took that, those people that did the talk and they asked them to get, asked them to do collages and then a, a board of experts, art um, critics, graded the collages. And like, uh, like undeniably, the people that had had the bad experience giving a talk made better art. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. And, and, um, and so there's a, bunch of, there's a bunch of stuff like that. And, she, and one of the things I think is really- You can't good. spell painting without pain. Exactly. <laughs> uh, and one of the things she said that I thought was really good is like, um, there's a major difference between um, depression and melancholy. Like there's also a lot of t stuff about like when you're truly clinically depressed, that actually isn't good for your creativity. Like that's not actually fueling it. Um, maybe after the fact, maybe after the fact, like with, with your experience, yes. Um, but I've had this same experience where um, I've been kind of working on a project about ADHD, my relationship to my mom, who I, I believe has undiagnosed ADHD and just, has just kind of suffered her whole life because of that. Uh, and, you know, just led a really tragic life actually. And, um, and I have done a bunch of work that I haven't figured out how to, I've, it's a little bit part of my talks that I do, but I actually have a broader kind of story that I want to tell. Uh, about her. And anytime I'm working on that talk, if I'm telling somebody about it, like right now, me telling you, I can feel like there is a huge well of energy behind this. Mm. I can just feel like this is a, uh, an unending resource of creative fuel for some reason. It's just so fresh. And I think there's two pieces that two pieces for me, um, where I uh, I think that the the hole that gets kind of dug in your heart when you go through pain creates a well. It's like a well of you. Just, you can feel more empathy. You can feel um, more depth the more pain you've experienced. So I think that makes you sensitive, and and that's correlating um, with creativity. And then I think that um, that. Uh, I, I lost the thread. There was a second point there, but it's, it's gone. It'll come back around. That's the ADHD. Maybe I just, maybe my ADHD was just like, I got to prove that, that you yeah. really have ADHD. Yeah, like that's totally knocking you off track. Um, but yeah, that, that there is that. I, I think that there's just that. Um, oh, I know what it was. It, I, she also talks about how um, that it, pain is our bonding agent. That is how we bond. Our deepest bonds are through, oh, I went through that. I know what that feels like. Mm. Uh, and I think that there's something about 
she uh, she also talks about how when, on the episode, she talks about how, you know, the reason she made the book or any book that she makes is literally just to find kindred spirits. And I think- Yes, 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 that, yes. When you were talking at the start about why you wanted to do shows or whatever, um, that's what I kept thinking about, which was, you know, I think we're, we're wanting to do those things because the, we feel like that's where we're going to find our kindred spirits. And we're going to find the people that are like, this is my thing too. And like, yeah. I get what you're doing here. And I think anything that's um, not motivated by that is like, you know, if it's, if it's wrapped up in image and ego, yeah. it doesn't go very far, but if it's wrapped well, and I think that's what happened. That's why jealous curator. I mean, I, it was never meant for anybody except me, <clears throat> but then so many people were like, I get it. And I was like, you do. And it just felt like so great to have people who are like, oh yeah. You know, or if I tell my story about art school to hear other people go, oh my gosh, listen to this. Oh, and listen to this, Andy. I don't know if I've said this on the podcast yet, but when I, when my show opened, oh, maybe I did tell it. I'm going to tell it again. Um, when my show opened uh, in March, I did a talk and before we went through and like looked at the work and I talked about all my hysterectomy. No, first I talked about, um, because there's a lot of cigarettes in the work. <laughs> and so people always think I had like a huge challenge trying to quit smoking. And I'm like, no, no, that's not it. Um, so I talked about what, where the cigarettes came from. And one of the things that it came from was um, Venice, because there's all these like little makeshift altars that people put up around the city. And, and then people will just like put a pop can there, or like they'll put out their cigarette butt on it. And nobody cleans it up. So there's like this, all this beautiful stuff mixed with garbage, which is sort of how I was picturing my reproductive organs. Um, so I was talking about that. And then I led into the reproductive organs and talked about the hysterectomy and stuff. So afterwards, uh, we're all looking at the work and people were coming up to talk. And this woman who came, she comes up to me and she's like, okay, listen to this. Like talk about kindred spirits. She's like, I had an emergency hysterectomy in Venice. I was like, what are you even talking about? She's like, I know you started down the, the route of talking about Venice. And she's like, first thing I'm thinking about is like this trauma that she went through. Cause it was like this emergency. She had to be taken in like in Venice. There's no roads. Obviously the ambulances are boats, Oh my God. which is super weird when you're like, you hear a siren and you're like, where is that going to come from? And then like a boat flies by. So she had to be put, they carried her in a wheelbarrow down the stairs to the canal into nice. an ambulance boat whisked her off and she had to have this emergency she was in the hospital for five days in venice oh my god she said the food was amazing but anyway um <laughs> the only place the hospital food is good is in venice but talk about instant bond yeah you know, like we had never met before and we were just like instantly best friends because of this weird, weird synergy, you know? And I think that's kind of my why actually for my artwork and Jaws Curator and my books and all of that stuff is like finding my people, right? And I think this is actually really helping Andy because yeah. I've, awesome. been having, I've been having this sort of thought of like, and again, I think it's my, my, my Canadian apologetic thing. It's like, oh, is this work like 
too personal and is it alienating for people who haven't gone through this kind of thing? And um, so who cares? Because I want to tell this, it's important to me to, to translate my pain into something where I can connect with other people who maybe have felt the same pain, you know, and I am working on a series of collages that is sort of like a bit broader um, pain, not just, not just this kind of surgery, but also like just overcoming stuff you didn't think you could overcome. Um, like, like uh, I've had a few friends lately go through terrible divorces, you know, or like being cheated on, or, um, I've been in therapy for an abusive relationship that what I was in, in my twenties and, and finally faced a lot of stuff that I ignored for a really long time. And maybe that was COVID and being here home for two and a half years and having time to, you know, I think a lot of, I mean, I know a lot of people that's when they went to therapy. Yeah. Right. And, and it's, I've come through it on the other side. And so a lot of the work is about that. And it was, I think there's a little nugget left over from art school, actually so many nuggets left over from art school, but one of them was don't make personal work. I was, I was making personal work and I was told that that was like, nobody would relate to it. And, um, so I was like, oh, okay. So I tried to strip all of that out. And I was also told not to be funny in my work. So I was trying to, you know, bring a bit of humor in. Cause that's just who I am. And I was told not to do that. And then I, I made feminine looking work. Cause I, that's what I like. And I was told not to do that. So there's all these rules, right. That I'm trying to unwrite. And what a huge one is don't, don't get too personal. And talking about things that are growing in your uterus is pretty freaking personal. And so I've been having these moments of doubt of like, okay, that show was great. I'm so proud of it. Now I'm moving forward. I've, I've got other shows coming up. Do I keep going down that route where I'm really proud and really happy, but is it connecting with people? And I think that's where my panic is about what's next. And so I, you know, think figuring out that why and what, who I'm trying to connect with, like, and, you know, now that I'm talking about it more, it's like, I don't really care about putting up the price point and whatever. For me, it really is about those stories afterwards, like the woman saying, listen to this story, you know, like that's really, oh my gosh, this is so good. I, I, I love that. And actually, um, you know, that answer that Susan gave about kindred spirits at, was at the end of the show when I asked her about, you know, in my mind, she went on, so she went on these two huge deep dives, these books that she does that they're like seven year projects, like crazy. And she picked, you know, introverts and bittersweet. And I just, you know, from my perspective, I was like, look, introverts, you literally just cut your audience in half. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> not, and, and you spent seven years being like, yeah, I'm going to do that. I'm going to, I'm going to go dive in that. And then bittersweet to me was even more polarizing or even because I was like, like not everyone relates to that. And I was just like, how did you have the guts to do that? And that's where she came to like, I'm doing this to find kindred spirits. So it doesn't matter. Mm. It, it doesn't matter. And, but ultimately that thing I want to add and why I think the advice of not doing, I'm not saying not, you know, there's things I don't put in my work that are personal. There are things that right. I, I think that that's, everybody has different reasons and uh, for why they want to talk. Like I will talk about my mental health and ADHD and my relationship with my mom. All of that's deeply personal. It's a lot in my work, but there's a whole bunch of other things that I'm just like, that's not for my work. I just right. don't. Me you know, too. Whatever. Me too. Yeah. But 
uh, I just wanted to highlight why I think that don't put yourself in your work is so such terrible advice is that um, I really I saw you write that down when I said it. Yeah. <laughs> no, I just thought because, and this is why, and it's the thing of, um, you know, it's why Susan Cain has uh, on her introvert talk, 30 million views is because I really, uh, if you start getting into how ideas spread, the way that they spread, it's called the diffusion of innovation. Usually when I say that there's two, ty- two types of people. Either they lean in, they're like, ooh, that sounds interesting. Or they're like, oh my gosh, their eyes glaze over. And they're like, I don't want to hear anything about that. I promise it. I won't get technical about it, but um, because I can't, I don't know technically, but I, I do know that when they study, like how does Nike, how did Nike catch on? How did like, how, how does a thing become a thing? They talk about like, it doesn't start by having something that's widely appealing. Like that is not how it starts. It starts with, depth. It starts with a small group of people going crazy for it. And like, that's, that's how something like, um, you know, I think about, uh, Hannah Gadsby. Are you familiar with? Oh, yes. I love her. Yes. So that's such a great example of this way that something spreads because, you know, her first special is about, um, being gay and her second special is about being autistic. Neither of those things can I directly relate to but I can relate to, and everybody can, what it feels like to have something about yourself that feels like outsider-ish or feels like doesn't under, isn't understood or all these different things. And um, I always quote James Victoria quoting James Joyce because I'm a simple Indiana boy who I've never read James Joyce. But I love the quote he always shares is, in the particular lies the universal. And there's this thing about if you aren't willing to get very personal and specific, and you're afraid of polarizing, you're afraid of going uh, deep with somebody, you'll never make those kind of connections where they're so heard and seen in your work that they're going to tell every person they know. Like Beth Godin talks about it being making work that is remarkable, meaning making work that people cannot help but remark on. And Mm. so you have to be willing to go there and the, and the last piece of that was, um, and this, I think has, uh, they said it in a, I think it's set in Toronto. So it's Canadian. So thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. Um, was, uh, when Pixar did, um, turning red and you had all these people that made it political and were like, I can't relate to this teenage girl, uh, in Toronto who's like, and they're getting, and it's so clearly untrue that they're making it out to be something like, oh, this is nothing to do with me. It's totally unrelatable to, except for a small section of people. And I felt like that political argument was torn apart by this tweet that I saw that was like, oh, but you can relate to being a car for a boy? <laughs> like, uh, no, like that you're, you're full of it. And I, and I can safely say as a 36 year old man in Ohio, that I just deeply related to that teenage girl in turning red, who turns into a panda. Like I, because it was so specific, it had the 2000s vibe. It had every little detail so rich that it came alive. Um, And so I would just encourage you, but also anybody who's listening, like do not, I think shooting for wide is like an impossible target to hit. Yeah. Yeah. And it will be mediocre work. Exact 100%. 
Yeah. Because when it's made for the average, there is no average person. No. Like that. Yeah. I always say that you can't make art that everyone's going to love. Like what, what would that even be? It's like porridge. Yeah. Like, it's just like, and then nobody, like nobody would love it. It would, everybody would be like, yeah. Meh. yeah so like, do you want to do that? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <sighs> That's we all should, my things. Oh, I wanted to ask before. Okay, go ahead. I was going to say, even if it's not on the podcast, we should, we have to just, uh, Check in from time to time because it's been a long time since we had a long chat. I know. I don't know why. I don't know. Just things that I know. all that. Yeah. Um, I wanted to ask because you talked quickly about your tattoo, and I'll put a picture of it in the post. But what it's so cute. Tell everybody what it actually is. Yeah, it's a it's a little guy with an umbrella head. Um, that's that's what I'm showing. Uh, he looks like a lemon. He does look like a lemon. Yeah, and that's melon. Yeah. Hey, man, I, that's a layer I didn't even have. Yeah. Well, because um, when Charlie was little, little, he called um, watermelons water lemons. Oh, that's just. And that's a I water lemon. Correct that, him, and he was like fifteen saying that. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't correct him. It was just too cute, and then I was so sad when he figured it out. But that's kind of a water lemon on your arm because there's an umbrella, and it looks like a lemon that could be a melon. I, yeah. Okay. I'm gonna keep that. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. Um, <laughs> I just wanted you to describe it because then I'll pop it in the post over because I'm sure people were like, when you said it, people were like, well, what is it? <laughs> what is yeah, it? It's a and I'm, and I'm also, okay, what, what? I was just going to say, it's part of a project uh, that I've been working on with my wife for a long time. It's called Invisible Things. And we have some other properties and stuff that are in the, in the works um, with that. And that's so beautiful. I love those invisible things. Can you throw out a few, what a few of the invisible things are? Yeah. I mean, there's ever, like, there's so many different things, but they really cover, um, I've, I'm a huge fan of and kind of collect, uh, personified invisible things. Part of the reason, like meaning not just my stuff, but all the way back since time began, we were giving names and faces to the invisible. If you think of like, you know, the Greek gods of like, all of the invisible forces, like how do we wrap our heads around it when we're such visual creatures? Um, and then all the way, you know, through there's, I have, you know, books back here from the mid century of uh, this is an, a temper that's personified as a dragon. And um, that's mm. called dragons hate to be discreet. It's a really cool book. Um, all kinds of stuff like that. I've been always obsessed with the personified invisible. Um, and so invisible things is characters that, personify all of like uh invisible forces so you can think of like science um things from uh all the other senses um mm -hmm. and then also feelings um and so all of them have these different characters and there's um there's there's uh i don't know there's a huge list of them i know they're so beautiful saltiness to dark matter like there's yeah. all it's all there I know. I love, I love it when you, um, sometimes we'll post like a little grid of them. Uh -huh. yeah, yeah. So cool. Um, well, I'm going to also put a link to your interview, um, with Susan so that everybody can actually hear the whole full thing. I just saw the little bits on your Instagram and I was like, Oh my gosh, that is exactly the thing. And, uh, so I really wanted you to talk about it. And, um, Oh, this was so great. We should, we should just talk every day. We would never get anything else done. That way, you know, that's why I started the podcast was I was yeah. like, I 
talking so much. Can I just make this my business? I just want to like <laughs> talk and and not. And I think I, I ultimately think business for me has always been like, how can I make money on this so that nobody can be like, hey, you shouldn't be doing that. Like, <laughs> it's profitable. You can't yeah. stop me. Um, yeah. I can pay my mortgage. I can feed exactly. my children. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, you know, because I'm part of CoLoop, that yeah. I've been really struggling with keeping the podcast going. Uh-huh. And um, see, and then I do episodes like this where it's so much fun. And I'm like, why am I stopping? But then I have so much anxiety around scheduling it and booking it and blah, 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 mixed with, I really want to be in my studio making art. And I'm creeping up, creeping up on the big five zero, Andy. Right. And I'm starting, maybe it's a midlife crisis, but I'm starting to think like, what do I really want to be doing? Yeah. So um, maybe the podcast will stay. I don't know. It's a big old fog right now. Well, you know, I want, I was hoping at some point to talk about it with you. Uh, I know I've been avoiding you guys like the plague I, when you're like, well, we can talk about it. I'm like, and then I just don't answer the email because I'm like, I don't want to talk about it. I figured in, you know, the thing is though, <laughs> I get that. I totally get it. And that, that's why um, I wanted to be sensitive to it because sometimes you have a thing that's part of your, you know, this happens to me all the time where there's a thing that's part of my ecosystem that's not working for me and other people that have, uh, you know, a stake in it in any degree, maybe don't feel like that. I, and I get that. That's totally. And that's actually one of the reasons I wanted to co-found uh, co-loop with Ryan was because I wanted to create an entity where there was like the, you know, help hopeless romantic artist type in the conversation. And so any conversation we ever have with the artist, I'm like, or you guys could just quit. Just give, if you don't want to do it, just give up. It's fine. Follow your heart. But that's, how, that's just how I feel. Um, but uh, I do feel like that. But I did think, you know, if, if you, if you did ever want to talk about the podcast, I just think there's so many, um, I just think that artists trying to pr- have a creative practice in this time either need an email list or a podcast or both. And the main reason is, is is because it is the one place you can be online where people can subscribe and it's uh, not determined by the algorithm. Yes. Want to use, if you want to have a relationship and I really think you should build your practice on a deep relationship, like we said, with your audience, you need to be able to reach them when you have stuff to say. Yeah. Um, and and so, you don't want Instagram and Facebook determining if and when you get to tell them that stuff. 100%. Yeah. And yeah. so I've had, I put a ton of thought into um, like when we launched uh, Lisa Congan's podcast, that was all through the lens of like, this is just essentially, you don't have to think of like, I'm creating a podcast to compete with this American life. Like it doesn't have to be that for most people. It's just, this is like, email list 2.0, meaning people can experience way more intimately and while they're washing the dishes. So they don't have to keep them giant long form thing. So, you know, there's, there's all kinds of different ways to do it. If it ends up becoming more of, if it's, if it just feels like it's not your heart doesn't feel in it, that's. Well, see, it's kind of what we were talking about at the beginning about like, I know like right now I'm having so much anxiety about like, traveling again but I know when I get to wherever I'm going I'm going to be like I love this so much and it's the same thing it's like oh god I gotta talk to Andy at 11 
I would, I, I, I would, I would rather be napping. Um, but the I, second we get on, I'm like, I don't want to hang up, you know? I, and so yeah. it's, the, yeah, it's just, I don't know. I think it's, I think it's anxiety. I think it's, I do people joke. I seriously have phone anxiety. I do not call for pizza. Like I, well, my husband makes me, we have a deal that I have my to phone and he'll go pick it up. My wife is exactly the same. Um, that she hates calling anybody and it's very, very real. Yeah. And I, would and I have a podcast. I have to call somebody that I don't know. Usually that is so stressful. But then as soon as I get on, like I got, did you, I got to interview, um, Mary Ellen Matthews. She's the photographer for SNL. Oh my gosh. That's amazing. She's been there for 20 years. She's the one that shoots all those insane photos in between the commercial break. And I was like starstruck so excited and then we both postponed the call like four or five times over a couple of months and she, pro- she probably did because she's actually busy and I think I did because I was panicked to talk to her yeah, yeah I about mean- ordering pizza and then I got to call Mary Ellen from SNL Jesus and so it was like I think that's also part of my problem and I'm just saying all this out loud because I know that so many of my listeners are so awesome and they've been like please don't quit and I just want them to know kind of why to know that I love it so, so much mixed with, I find it a huge source of anxiety. I do have my email list now that you, you know about my, my subscription list. And I write every day, six days a week. And people are like, uh, you know, they're like, you don't have to do it as much if it's, and I'm like, it, to me, it is a joy. I don't find it stressful at all. I could do it all day. I could send them five emails a day if they'd let me, but they would block me. I'm quite sure. Um, so I'm finding a huge amount of joy in that right now. So I got to figure out a way to find that joy again with the podcast. And I don't know yeah. how to do it, but and it sounds like you've had, you know, I'm not going to go on a huge rant because I, I think we're probably way over time for, for what your, your listeners are bargaining for. But um, Oh no, but I, they love long ones. Don't okay. you guys, they love them. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, But I, uh, you know, I, I just want to highlight that it doesn't mean that it's for everybody. And I'm not saying, you know, there are people that have that kind of anxiety and it's debilitating. And it just means like, why are you forcing yourself to do something that's just not something you should do? But I also get very overwhelmed about interviews. I don't always do it. I don't do a ton of interviews. Um, but uh, this is something that's been consistent with you. And one thing I heard that I thought was brilliant was um, Drew Barrymore was on Mike Birbiglia's podcast. It's really good. And she was talking about how the pressure to, and I think this is where I get derailed too, is the pressure to, when she got her own daytime talk show, she was like, okay, now what does a daytime talk show look like? What, what do you do? And instantly what you do is you get the biggest guests you can get. It's all, everybody's fighting for the biggest guests. And eventually, and she just felt so out of whack. And eventually she was like, she's like, I don't want to do that. I want to have people on that are my kindred spirit people. And she launched the first episode with the uh, other two women from uh, Charlie's Angels. Mm. And, that, and, and I think that energy, that just reminded me of like, when it comes to interviews, I'm doing it for the kindred spirit reason. The same reason I'm doing mm. all the other art instead of thinking. And Susan was like that, like Su- Susan being on the show blew me away because even though she's very well known in the Ted talk space, not everybody's in that zone. Not all of my listeners are in that zone. Like she's not, you know, you know, an A-list celebrity and, and right. yeah, stuff. it's not like that. But to me, 
she is an A-list celebrity. Right. That was my, that was a brilliant gift. And I think, you know, there's all kinds of different ways. If you want to actually like chop it up of like, how could you design it to maximize its potential for being a source of joy? I think, and also I think, I think there's a lot of, uh, I think, um, I think a lot about the cost of joy. Like I just think about this all the time. I think pleasure, usually you pay for it later. Like anything that's just like instant pleasure, no cost up front. It's not, doesn't mean it's bad. It just means you usually pay later because it like wears out your dopamine and it does at least like there's all kinds of ways that it like kind of isn't uh, great. But joy, as you know, I know that you uh, at least used to be a runner, like you used to be really Still into them, it. Yeah. Yeah. Like running is my favorite example of like, that's the cost of joy is like, after I run, I feel heavenly, but Mm -hmm. I pay the cost up front. And so I would just, I, the reason I highlight that is I think there's a lot of narrative with creative people around like creative practice should just be, if it's right, it should just feel amazing all the time. It should always feel like the flow state. And I just think sometimes that like the cost is worth it. Um, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and that yeah that is totally true and I found that you know being in my studio PETA asked me to commit to five hours a day in the studio and there's lots of times where things were not working and things were getting tossed in the garbage and whatever but I had so much that was kind of okay because I knew I'd be back there the next day for another five hours and it was it was um pure joy even when things weren't going the way that I imagined they would because it would always lead to something else Okay, so here's what I need to do. I need to get my notebook. I need to write the why for the art and the why for the podcast. And I'm clearly going to title this episode Kindred Spirits. Obviously. (laughs) It's on my mind so much right now. Yeah, no, it's so good. Um, Andy, thank you so, so much. And for everything, for everything, everything over the last few years and um, becoming my friend and all of your sage advice and I love how um you can quote anybody on anything because you do such deep dives into all this stuff it's just you're just such a wealth of information and I'm always so happy when you come and and share all that here I really appreciate it and I just love to have an art friend that is also real um it just means so much to me and um I am excited for your next chapter Thank you. Me too. All right. Let's not wait six months to talk again. And, um, and, uh, yeah, thank you again for everything. Okay. Okay. Drops. I'll talk to you later. Okay. Bye. Wow. Well, I got a lot out of that and I hope you did too. Nothing like a little talk therapy with a brilliant friend. So first in my lineup of thank yous, thanks to Alexandra from the European Cultural Academy for joining me from across the ocean to talk all things Venice. Seriously, if you're thinking about it, you should come. It is truly life-changing. There are links to everything you'll need to know to get more info and to sign up on my site right this very second. So just pop over to thejealouscurator.com slash blog. Now, speaking of life-changing experiences, talking to Andy. Yep, every single time. (laughs) Thank you so much to this insightful guy for coming onto the podcast every few months to share his brilliance. Note, okay, no, he is not a real doctor, but I would take any pizza-flavored creativity pill he's selling. And finally, of course, huge thanks to you for listening. 
I will be back in two weeks with a brand new episode of Art for Your Ear. See you then.